0: Hello, everybody. Kyle here. Welcome back to the Stellaris Emergency Broadcast Podcast. I'm joined here by my co-host, Stark. Stark, how you doing today? Pretty good. Glad to hear it. We're going to be recapping Dev Post 206 today, Directing Nemesis. I should say these are the dev diaries you can find up on the Paradox Forum. And, of course, you can find them in the podcast show notes or up on the Revelator Revelator website, revelatornetwork.com we got a whole big Stellaris page. I'm going to be working on that, building that out. Uh, and as this show grows, thanks to all of you amazing listeners that are out there engaging, we've already got some people uh, trying to join up on the Gilded server we have. Let me talk about that in a second. But uh, I wanted to say if there's people out there that are really, really interested in helping the Stellaris Emergency Broadcast go, we've got some contact forms up on the website. There's a whole volunteer program if you wanna get involved with helping these podcasts succeed and like grow and scale and scope. One thing I could absolutely, uh, Stark and I could always use help with is input on ideas. We have a massive list we've been starting on uh, that's like covering concepts from large scale systems down to the really fun minor easter eggs that exist in the game because there's a lot of them stark was just telling me which one were you just talking about stark you were talking about 40k oh no we were talking about the blorg the blorg that's it we're going to be covering them a little bit more in this episode because they're going to be uh coming up in relation but you go what like you're like Kyle, do you know what the blorg is i'm like "Ah, no i I think i think (laughs) i've heard of them we went on the wikipedia they've got a whole big thing like we can talk about Easter eggs from Stellaris uh, all night long, and I think we should because I play around a lot of these systems Knowing of them in concept or name only I'd like to dive way deeper see uh, how maybe we can play out different avenues when it's a quest choice Or you know just make people generally aware of the things they might be sleeping on you know
1: Yeah, there's a lot of really cool stuff. that's buried in here
0: really really truly So in this uh, post today, this one is all about the design direction. And this star, who who did you say was behind this post?
1: Um, This is Daniel Morgard, or Morgard. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, He is the game director now, I believe.
0: This was a good one. I I really like this post, uh, mainly because it touched on a lot of the stuff you and I have been discussing throughout the just last couple episodes, especially... In the larger thematic conversations we've had, so picking up uh, the concept of box concept, the concept yeah. of box concept. Uh, box concept. Do you yeah. want to give us a little bit of an outline on this one? Because I, I think this is important when we're starting to understand direction for for expansions. And I liked how this one got set up.
1: Yeah, and this is like this is sort of it makes sense in a simple concept of its themes. Um, you get a developer looking at a, they want a theme for their expansion and um is describing this in the concept of having a box for specific themes and then building everything around that so the examples he gave specifically were utopia was about internal politics and customization apocalypse was about warfare Uh, megacorp was about economy and the federations was about diplomacy and then he also points out that um, nemesis is again it's primarily a diplomacy focused expansion which really starts to explain something that was kind of, I think it was, we've both mentioned it publicly and it's been a little bit strange kicking around where it's like, this feels like a follow-up to Federation. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that's because it's another aspect to diplomacy. So I think until I read this and actually gone through it and was thinking about it, I was like, oh, now it all makes sense. Like, cause Federation is sort of you're your unifying together for a common cause and, and to create a better world. And then Nemesis is more your you know, either becoming the thing that eats the galaxy or you're unifying together in the face of a common threat. So there, there's a very distinct difference. But when you're working within this theme concept, it's like, oh, I understand why these two look so similar.
0: That is very well said. Yes, we pointed out uh, how, in a way, Federations felt like, what, the the version one. And, and this is kind of putting the finesse on top of it. It's really finalizing a lot of the systems that were good but weren't great and and i gotta say from all the billboarding we're seeing from all the advertising and you know the the conversations the paradox insider event they're really selling me on on this we've we've talked before would you you he called me kyle palpatine offline today everyone <laughs> i didn't comment at the time so this is the first time we're, but i noticed that star kyle palpatine i didn't say a word because i What was I going to rebut about
1: that? I'm not wrong. (laughs) You weren't wrong.
0: Uh, Now that that's been brought out into the light. So everyone, this one, I'm just absolutely a fan. And again, I love getting the insight from them. So going a little bit more point by point, you called out some of these. uh, But just to recap them, yeah, Apocalypse being about warfare makes sense. Megacorp for Economies, Federation about diplomacy, Utopia being about internal politics and customization. And I say these all again because we've have we have listeners out there that are really interested in buying the game. Go ahead and rewind that that or go check out the post itself. Go check out the episode. Where we talk about what you're getting per box uh, or expansion. Really, really key because these these areas expand the game very dramatically when when you get them. And and in here we're going to get into espionage, which will be a system that's what been relegated to the default 3.0 update. Is that correct, Stark?
1: Yeah um so yeah that's that was something that was confusing us for a little while where it was like we were looking at that and, and for some reason i had it in my head that that was going to be a box feature rather mm-hmm. than going to be you know added to the play box or play box well the um the play set for everybody and the more i thought about it the more i realized wait that doesn't make any sense because this is going to massively change the way you approach yeah. other empires in the game just from the beginning of the game forward so it needs to be there for everybody otherwise you're going to be at a significant disadvantage when the intel system comes in and i'm folding espionage and intel together there a little bit but probably shouldn't it is so yeah this is going to be everybody go ahead
0: no i was just gonna say it's very dangerous and i i do apologize on my part for for switching the words intel and espionage because i'm i'm just gonna do that forever i fear uh i will try my best to sort it out when i can um there's one thing though and i, I may have moved over this i don't think i heard you mention it before we fully dive into talking about uh, the goals and what things like espionage what the you know ideas behind that were uh, before we get to that stage i like this one quote about federations focus more on good diplomacy nemesis focusing more oh, on the yeah. evil diplomacy.
1: diplomacy yeah that
0: was a good pull quote
1: it is yeah and it is a good distinction between the two like between what we're saying with federation and what we're saying with nemesis
0: i absolutely agree i think that looking at what all options you get to go diplomatic-wise here between becoming the crisis, between cu- becoming the custodian to combat the crisis, or taking that further and becoming the Imperium? It does seem like you have two more traditionally evil or darker authoritarian paths at your disposal in this expansion. Where mm-hmm. Federation, uh, very good, it gave the the actual Federation ability and it brought in the galactic community. Didn't really give you a way to go off, like, go off the deep end. You can make yourself the single counselor for the community, but that's about where your unilateral power ends, I believe.
1: You've got the hegemony path on your Federation setup, but that's that's mostly just a militarized focused one, isn't it?
0: You know what? Like, I'm going to pull that up, actually, while we're talking.
1: Yeah, because I'm sitting here thinking, about like, I, I know I've looked at it, I know I read it, and then I was like, well, this is... This is neat. I'm never gonna use it. And then immediately forgot everything I read. I Does that ever happened to
0: you? Oh, all the time. Every time I make show notes for a, a podcast. I wing I wing every listen, every podcast is completely winged by me because even if I made the notes five minutes ago, they're all gone. So I just glance back and hope I did well. Uh, so yes. I found the hegemony. They're just quick recap of how federation types work. We got Galactic Union Trade League. Uh what's this martial or no material alliance and hmm. we got the uh, research cooperative and the hegemony so hegemony is the members cannot leave the federation wait oh, oh, oh yes yeah. so you cassus belli yeah if you leave no. it there's a secession casus bet lie
1: against you yeah
0: that's one of the o- that's the only one that does that for the record so that's not crazy I I, I thought uh, that I was reading something that was going to be repeated but no that's Interesting. Naval contribution cost is reduced, oh, by 100%. Yeah, there's
1: no naval contribution cost for the president. You get an additional envoy. You get additional resources from jobs. You get the established, oh, 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 okay. So um, without looking at it, established hegemony war goal probably means you can forcibly... Okay, so yeah, this is this is a thing where it's like you've got a military conquering empire. so like a Roman empire where you, you conquer other nations and slurp them in. And they still technically exist as autonomous states, but <sighs> they, they, they serve you. I How will... is it you're not...
0: All the time? Huh? Well, okay, <laughs> you... I... I... Great question. Why am I not that all the time? This is where I beg that if we have anyone listening from Paradox or anyone that has any say that, you know, can get feedback in. I love the Hive Mind. It's almost exclusively what I play because it truly is what I love. But we have only one uh, Federation type we can join in the the actual vanilla game, if you will. The non-modded game. And that is that we can only be in the Galactic Union, which, speaking about vanilla, is basically the most vanilla because that's like a versus crisis stuff like it's not it, it's just more monthly unity monthly diplomatic weight, like federation envoy it's fine but it doesn't seem to have a strong direction outside of we are the space un mm-hmm. no teeth the re now here, here's what something that's interesting though stark we've learned uh, if friends multiplayer friends are inviting you to things like i, I can join someone else's research cooperative so maybe mm-hmm. what I need to ask like space unicorn to do is start playing a hegemony uh, rolling one of those up
1: and then and passing you leadership.
0: Yeah, we kind of let it roll. So that's the other thing. I would like we need to do a whole deep dive into federations is what I'm hearing because <laughs> there's a lot to talk about between all of the different options in the menus. There are mods that make the federation types significantly better and I recommend people do it if that's your take. Uh, Just because they can add a lot of flair, even if you only want to play them for one day and throw it away. Uh, There's a lot to be said about how you let NPCs join your thing and what the dangers are of them manipulating the system. But I I don't want to deviate too, too far from today's episode. The reason I say all of this is it's it's all tied in. It's really hard to kind of separate these things and not talk about one versus the other because what we're just a minute away from talking about is cognitive load. So maybe this is actually a decent segue. Maybe we, maybe we tie it in in that direction first. Um, this
1: expansion let's, is- Yeah, let's just hop down to cognitive load then. Yeah,
0: because what we're talking about is the idea that you can, as your game expands, overwhelm players very easily. Because if you're starting with a base game, I mean, you can overwhelm people all the time, but if you're starting with a base game that's cohesive and you start adding a chunk, a chunk, a chunk, those chunks can get radically overwhelming very quickly, especially to players that are jumping in late in the game, like myself, who jumped in with, oh, I don't know, like seven or eight DLCs that I picked up for Stellaris all in one swoop. So,
1: yeah, I you, think you joined right before Federation dropped, didn't it? Didn't you?
0: I want to say right. Post it, right it. Post by a month oh, or two. Right? Yeah. It was short timing. Yeah, long. it was. So you're right on the money with that, Stark. Um, This is actually my first DLC like major expansion for them aside from nemesis. So yeah Uh, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Basically point being cognitive load. uh, There's a quote here cognitive load is definitely something that is tricky when designing for grand uh, Strategy games. I feel like the espionage system has hit a good mark with not being mandatory To play the game but also being fun and interesting when you want to use it. So there you go everyone that's That's kind of the bridge we're talking about, is I've been afraid in the last couple episodes, sometimes espionage systems are boring, sometimes they're overwhelming, and we are looking at a game that is spinning out in very fun directions, but a lot of directions.
1: I think we probably should define this a little bit, too, So I think we've just sort of skimmed over it. Like The thing about cognitive load, and it's it's really a mind-bender once you realize it exists, is your brain can only process so much information at once. I mean, it's nice to think, oh yeah, I'm here. I, I see all of these things, but it's, like, there are actual straight up biological limits to how much information you can process. And if you try to give somebody more information than their brain can handle, which you absolutely can do, uh, they will not be able to process through it properly. They can't parse what they're seeing. They can't understand what they're doing and they can't really react. And I think we were talking about this, like there's real world applications for this, where you can simply overload someone's senses to the point where they don't know what's going on until they can finally, you know, start putting stuff back together. And in game design, especially something like Stellaris, like Stellaris, you are managing an entire stellar empire, or at least a model of an entire stellar empire. And yeah, yeah, that can get a little overwhelming. Uh, (laughs) So that's what we're talking about with cognitive load. Like, there is, there are these limits in trying not to put too much stuff on the player at once, where they just disconnect.
0: I, I, think, I think, yes, 100% what you said that. There's such real-world applications to it. We, you can actually see it more so. Now, you and I have talked about this a little off-air since, uh, how we talk about the game in terms of how people can slow it down and speed it up, mm-hmm. you know, between multiplayer and all of that as well. As a guy that usually plays multiplayer on fast speed, this two out of three, I (laughs) am used to making a lot of decisions on the fly. Now, that's another system that could probably use a little bit of help. We've talked about that in the past uh, for the multiplayer extension of it, but you're right. Making decisions on behalf of a stellar empire all in a quick succession of time can be very, very overwhelming. And it most definitely impacts how your empire turns out. So that's Mm -hmm. something to be very cautious of because if players start falling behind on the build scale, when they start, when they fall behind on taking an ethics perk or picking up research in a timely order, that stacks Uh, really Mm -hmm. so when you see the big amplifier techs as well, Uh, because you can be setting yourself behind by hundreds or thousands that will add up. AIs will surpass you if you know if, if we're not already talking about an expert player here. If we're talking to the base player that's jumping in, it matters. And so, hearing that the dev team is aware of it and intentionally pruning and uh, making sure what they're adding is concise, really, really key to me, especially when it
1: comes to a growing audience. Especially, yeah. also something um, sort of in passing here, like you're talking about multiplayer. Mm-hmm. I do love multiplayer in this game. Right? Like, I oh, didn't yeah. expect that as much because mostly I started out playing single player. But yeah, in single player, and especially when I learned, I was pausing constantly and processing through stuff and making sure I had all the the details worked out. Um, Multiplayer is a completely different animal because it is kind of this fly by the seat of your pants. You Mm -hmm. just need to make the decisions immediately. And depending on how you are as a player, um, there's a lot of, there's a fairly strong argument to say that you probably want to start with single player, and learn the ropes there rather than hopping into multiplayer right off the bat because Hmm. in multiplayer stuff like the espionage system but even just stuff like ship design stuff like research technologies like i go into a thing with ascension perks and it's just like okay i know what i want to do so i know which perk to grab i know which tradition tree to start working my way down i know which uh I know which technologies are gonna benefit me. And in some cases I know which technologies to pick in order to try to push my technology in a certain direction. But that's all stuff where it's like, if you're playing multiplayer from the outset and you can't pause and you can't take the time to to really dig through all the tool tips, it can screw you because it is kind of like going from chess to speed chess. You you can't just sit there and, and actually take the time you need to fully appreciate what's going on in a lot of cases.
0: See, this is where I'm hearing more so uh, that I'd love to get some volunteers from the audience that would be interested in consolidating ideas, because as you're talking, I'm hearing how, how do you bring someone into the game? And I've had the experience of bringing a couple players in before. Uh, it is right now a mix of me recommending videos on YouTube, single player mm-hmm. content, though exclusively talking to you know like you have friends available who are willing to like coach you and spend time on this i think multiplayer can be a very invaluable asset Uh, especially like you coached me because you watched my game streamed through like discord uh, and were able to point out what certain ui elements were because that stuff can be really lacking in here so you can sometimes pick that up from youtube videos but there's also an element to having friends that can help you with that stuff too. Um, and I, I think all together, it can make something really cohesive. So this is, again, my my second attempt here in this one episode to be like, if you're out there listening, if you have ideas, if there's something you want to learn more about for the game that you think we should put into like some little comprehensive guide, um, we're going to start going into some tutorial space here in the podcast in the future. Just because I know I literally learn something almost new all the time in this game literally after 600 hours or more like that yeah yeah so send get in touch get in touch uh Talking to the espionage system, then, more specifically, let's let's hone in now that we've defined what cognitive load is and how that can be overburred. Uh, there's a quote here. Mm-hmm. I wanted information gathering to be a large part of this expansion. Espionage systems are hard to get right because they feel or they can feel too predictive or boring. And you also have to constantly be considering the experience of someone who's being targeted by espionage. Yep. Again, very good points. The predictive and boring, I've talked about how I like that before. But the mm-hmm. being targeted, Stark, was not the one that came to my mind immediately. But That feels rough in a game when you're just getting
1: bullied. Yeah, and so there's an entire narrative. Like, even if you're sitting there and constructing your entire narrative around espionage, right? Like, you've mm-hmm. got like mental, you're, you're telling your story about you're sending spies out and things like that. When you're on the receiving end, that narrative doesn't happen. Because sort of by design, you don't know it's happening. So it's just suddenly, and suddenly something horrible happens. Um, I think I've mentioned it on air, but it's like, I I can't remember who said it originally, but it's the situation where it looks like, it suddenly feels like the computer is cheating against you. Where you've got the espionage espionage system, um, I think it was like Civ 2 or something, where it's like, you could sabotage cities with your spies, and the AI would use the spies and sabotage your city, and you're just like, well, why is my production suddenly screwed? Why are all of my units dead? And and there was no explanation. It was just, oh yeah, no, this happened. And you little pop-up that says, oh yeah, Spy did this. And it's like, that just, it feels bad. There's no interaction. There's no, early on when you don't understand how to deal with infiltrated units in that game, there was no way to know this was even coming. So it was like, yeah, it's...
0: You talk especially about feeling cheaty. I mean, when we start talking, amping up the difficulty level though, and the RNG numbers rolling differently... Mm, Mm -hmm. that is pretty cheaty because i mean when their roles are better than yours and they're just like eating stuff like that yeah that's a problem in games that's that's also as a genre that's a whole
1: yeah almost the entire genre of strategy games relies on the ai cheating yeah for higher difficulties and that's kind of that's sort of understood it's like okay well if you're playing at the impossible difficulty you know your enemy's production speed is going to be accelerated they're Resource production is going to be increased. Um, maybe they'll have other bonuses. Maybe they'll have more, like, they'll have greater vision range or whatever. It varies from game to game. But sort of a problem for strategy games across the board is in order to make an enemy, an AI enemy, really overwhelming, you kind of need to just give them straight statistical advantages because it is, in part, a numbers game.
0: I totally agree. Uh, I have two really quick spin-off things I don't want to necessarily break into conversations but I, I well for one this one maybe for a whole other episode. I would adore if a, a game like this. Not saying it has to be Solaris, but I, I'd really like to see as we move to this digital online social space, and we're all starting like with the introduction of Valheim and all that. People are starting to find the joy in small servers again, between a couple friends, a multiplayer. I would love to see strategy games like this kind of add in beyond the observer mode, but almost a, a dungeon master sort of mode where they can kind of hop in and have a little bit of control over the AI and maybe yeah. help nudge them, whether it's through unlocking perks through them, like almost like one person gets the cheat menu and mm-hmm. they can hot swap between the enemy. Because I'm, I know this is very extra and not that many people would take advantage of this. But I've thought about this before and chat it with friends. People would have interest, I myself, but you could really tailor that, a game for
1: folks. Yeah, you can. Um, I know that Divinity Original Sin 2 has that. I don't really? know if the first one does. Like that's actually an RPG. So like the sort of Dungeon Master tabletop experience is already baked in. But that one specifically has a Dungeon Master setup going. That's um cool. You see that, well, no, actually you see it fairly infrequently with RPGs, particularly ones that are trying to recreate a tabletop experience where you've actually got a dungeon master and then you've got players working with them. Um, I've never gotten into any of those personally, but it's certainly a structure that exists. It's just, you're right, you don't usually see that in strategy games. And it would be interesting to see a strategy game that supported something like that.
0: Honestly, if there's Stellaris modders out there that I, I I feel like it'd be very hard to do with just modding tools because it seems like you'd need something grander. But I I, I don't know. I, I, I just love to see any game take a stab at it because I guess I'm not asking for something too radically different than basically taking a debug cheat menu and, and giving one person access over that. So uh, hmm. I feel like the tools roughly would exist. I feel like it would need some finessing. But ultimately, I think the payoff could be games that are as memorable as classic D&D, like the stories that people tell and they share with their friends for years and years to come. Just because you're giving it a human element that makes the enemy feel less cheaty, um, then you know you can you can see if if your one friend is expanding too rapidly maybe you give their uh neighbors some more troops to get those borders defended or or whatever that would look like take it a little easier on the friend that's newer and and doesn't want their teeth kicked in on their first couple gameplays okay. i think it could really help but I, I digress and i already forgot what my second little point was t- to make out <laughs> of this but um yeah, the RNG thing can get really absurd in games. Oh, I know what. I was just going to say really quickly that that I do like that Stellaris does actually tell you in the difficulty slider what is getting enhanced when you turn those levels mm-hmm. up. So quick shout out for actually yeah. disclosing.
1: Yeah, that's actually something, seeing it more often now in strategy games, but it used to be you would never see that. It was kind of aggravating. So it's like, What's the difference between these difficulties?
0: Yeah, do I get a negative penalty? Do they get a plus? Like, what exactly? Because it's a mix. Some games do. Flip-flop. This one's, I believe, all additive to the bad guys.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I believe so. I think this one is all additive. It might apply a penalty on the lowest difficulties to the ai i'm not 100 sure oh yes, but, sorry
0: that is well said i believe you oh, are yeah. right sorry i guess i meant uh no you're totally he right that you are correct i i guess i meant the higher you go you do not get like a any sort of yeah. negative modifier or anything like that on your
1: yeah plan. no the ai gets a positive modifier mm-hmm. difficulties good,
0: good differentiation there yeah that's very good you are listening to the Stellaris emergency broadcast podcast but are you subscribed to Chaos and Shadow? If your love of aliens and all things outer space goes beyond just gaming, make sure to get subscribed. We're on all your favorite podcast players at Chaos and Shadow. And it's up on revelatornetwork.com. We talk to some very interesting people talking about time loops, alien cultures, and many more things related to the occult, witchcraft, and beyond. Chaos and Shadow. Revelatornetwork.com. Become a member. bonus content. Okay, back to your stuff. Bye. Uh, let's see, there's one quote here in Espionage before we move on in the urgency of time. They said something to, we also have to consider when adding a new system, like as the player only has so much capacity to interact with existing systems, we need to create a system that is fun and engaging when you choose to use it and be aware that it's quite risky to add new systems the player is forced to interact with. Okay, so kinda of recapping that quote, that was going to set up our cognitive load discussion that you can overwhelm a player's senses and ability to process. Now having talked about that a little bit, there is another conversation embedded here that is the idea of optional systems. Yeah. What is going to, what you can ignore, what you can cannot ignore, and what is worth the time investment to become familiar with? Because Stellaris, looking at you, you do have quite a few of those systems baked into you currently.
1: At the same time, and I do really like that this is getting put in that category of optional because <sighs> Stellaris, I think I really sold you on the concept where it's like it's kind of like a uh, sci fi RPG. Like it looks like a strategy game, but it's actually more of a role playing game in the sense that you're playing a role in the galaxy rather than just a conventional, okay, I'm going to obliterate all that oppose me. And within that context, like within the context, and they even talk about themselves creating a power fantasy. Espionage is not going to be the center point for every player's interstellar empire fantasy. And so making sure that this is optional is, I think that's actually a really good decision there because you can end up with stuff like we, we've both played games with espionage where it's like, you cannot afford to ignore it. Like, if you do not spend time dealing with it, you will get screwed over. I think we even talked about, we just did talk about Civilization 2, where it yeah. does that. will screw you over. And I think the entire series, I think the entire subseries is like that now. Not 100% sure. Probably. But <laughs> there's probably. a lot of them where it's like, oh, yeah, I could just choose not to use espionage. And I'm like, oh, wait, I would get screwed so hard. So, yeah, it's having that as something that is designed to operate in the background is non necessary. But an optional approach, I think, is a really good decision.
0: I agree with that statement. And I'm sitting here wondering, are we going to see the, are, are, are we going to see espionage empires crop up? Meaning like, because right. this game would lend itself very well to player fantasies like the Tal Shiar, for example, like offshoot types. That are strong into intel, um, that are you know almost paramilitary things. Like because we already have the rebellious faction thing as as, as a thing in this game, um, we already have uh, almost like hut like empires. You know all your your slaver style folks that are out there that could really benefit from bounty hunter intel when it comes to sabotaging and you know making supply lines miserable. Uh, again, player fantasy. This is kind of like it feels like they're adding more and more whipped cream to the the sundae or something like it's way more finesse it's getting sweeter all the time
1: i do like the the focus on this about being narrative rather than just being like effect yes because right? that's that is part of the problem with a lot of uh, espionage systems in strategy games where it's it is simply a hidden effect that you're applying to another player and they won't find out about it until it's too late to react. Whereas here they're talking about, yeah, we'll build a, we'll, we'll help you build a story with this. Um, and I, I forget the exact quote. Um, I thought I had it here, but yeah, I did not actually pull it, but yeah, it is a really cool thing where it's like, this is focused around getting the player to, to create their own story as they're going forward. And of course the actual text is going to be scripted. That's sort of the way this stuff works across the board with Stellaris, but no, I love that where the primary focus is the narrative. For the player and then of course the multiplayer everything gets clicked through
0: <laughs> right well that's true that's true i i again I, I this was unintentional but i feel like we accidentally set up ammunition for why a dungeon master mode would be like a great mm-hmm. addition to this game because it is already so story driven it's it's more than mm-hmm. just i'm gonna go oh, yeah. comp stomp you are literally building an empire that is yours and will uh, we're playing a game that has the ability for you to actually input a biography for your like leader and your nation and all that stuff in the character creation screen. So uh, it I, I just I don't know. It's the stories. That's I tweak the launch settings for the game so excessively because with all the mods we play, with all the stuff, we have relative boundaries of what we know will make the game fun. Um, what we know is gonna be too overpowering and just gonna steamroll us and make everyone sad. Uh yeah. I, I want more more control. Always better, and I l- adore that this is going to be a narrative one because when they call out those progress bars, Stark, I think that starts to nail further what I had said about just feeling bored with other spying systems. Yeah, they just yeah. are so forgettable, if you will, forgettable or painful, and that's not good. So narrative driven. Um, you are right in multiplayer. I do click through a lot of those, but not all of them. There are definitely times They're I read reading. them, and and you know so I'm gonna. Works take one minute here to draw a line in the sand because I think this is worth saying especially because we're going to talk about become the crisis crisis crises are the exception when something yeah. goes weird in a multiplayer game like a, a bad guy has been announced they're on the scene they're all fussy about something and they need their nap uh that's when we start to joke and talk and say uh-oh you know so and so's up there and Maybe we laugh about it because it's a fallen empire who's really fallen behind and we've lapped them and we're just going to kick their butts. Or some of these modded crises really make you cry. And that leads to this conversation about adding in the become the crisis because we're taking it all and we're amping it up, not only letting the player become the crisis optionally, but if the AI is going to sometimes pick up that mantle that could lead to some hilarity where you've got someone who you thought was your friend over there who is now deciding yeah. I am going to be the crisis and obliterate reality, which yeah, I'm all we, for.
1: Yeah. What did we find that it was the um, the AI could pick the be, become the crisis they can but it pick it. Likely do so if there was already a crisis unfolding? I think it I was. believe
0: that is very close to that text. And then I imagine <laughs> on top of that, there's probably further modifiers that like. Your peaceful traders won't do it, I imagine. Uh, But then again, you know, one of Civ's most iconic things was that Gandhi loved to nuke people. And I would not (laughs) mind if, like, some free traders were very keen on going from, like, peace, love, and capitalism to um, now we have to erase the universe because of everyone else. That would just be funny. I'm sorry. Ruining other people's fantasy.
1: No, it's valid, though. It's like, yeah, it's valid. It's like, oh, yeah, no, we don't have to worry about them. And then it's like, they come back for you.
0: It could happen by the sounds of it. Yeah. Modders, also get that out there, too, if you haven't already. Like, let's get get us a little, like, a a thing that can make it more likely for them. We'll need that.
1: There Uh, was an interesting comment here. Um, This is sort of tying to something we didn't discuss earlier, the intrinsic versus extrinsic. But originally when they're talking about become the crisis, they were talking about having multiple forms for it, um, such as becoming a marauder where you're just sort of uh, trying to conquer or becoming an espionage-focused crisis. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think the phrase was uh, striking from the shadows or praise praise in from the shadows. Um, I do kind of hope some of that will be revisited in the future because either by... Uh, Paradox or by the modders because some of that stuff sounds really cool. I wanted to become Go ahead
0: <laughs> double down on that statement. So yeah, the quote reads we originally had ideas for the uh, Become the crisis feature to come in multiple shapes so ranging from that destructive force like an endgame crisis to comma to a subjugating force like a marauder or a manipulative force that preys in the shadows due to time constraints made that cut uh mm-hmm. making so they made a choice of either making one fantasy stronger and more engaging or having multiple versions that felt more watered down. I don't mean to speak too soon, and you know I'm obsessed with this update, but I, I do feel, I hope this is constructive feedback, I'm not seeing the strong player fantasy in the current crisis that exists, and I want to point that out now because I'm not sad, mad, or upset about this expansion. I do not think it's a flop. It sounds to me like an A+, regardless of that. But we have said before that we fear that the crisis may be extremely forgettable, that it might be, in its current iteration, a one-time niche thing that gets tossed to the side. I do fear that if the crisis's only end goal is to obliterate the universe, that isn't my play style, so I don't know when I would do it. And I think Mm -hmm. that does make a lot of dev time go into the novelty category instead of the functional one. And I don't want it to be that way for their sake, for my sake, for all of our sake.
1: At the same time, if it gives you the resources to actually pursue your intended goal, would that still be something you'd be like, okay, I'll just discard this now? Like, if you're not going to go all the way to Mm. obliterating stars... You're just going to snuff out a few stars to get the resources you need to conquer the galaxy. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that?
0: Uh, I think that's a very good question. And I think that it prevents me from putting the cart in front of the horse as much. Not that not, I really want to do that anyway for folks. I'm not trying to be scary, uh, but I, I guess the answer to that would be, I need to see more side by side, what the perks are to it and what the trade-offs are because mm-hmm. it. I think that the becoming the crisis thing, as I understand it, I could be wrong, but I feel like it's very flavored and I'm worried that I'm not in love with the flavor. I feel like the question or the the counter question I have to yours is, what if I just try something new on the menu that tastes better? Like if I like the Imperium better, then that's when I would throw the crisis to the curb. Um, now, but again, this is all for me to say, I'm not mad about the crisis system. I do think that having different routes of playstyle would make it more appetizing in the long run. So if this hmm. is crisis part one to a later part two, just like we had with Federation and now Nemesis, uh, I'm happy, very, very happy with this. But I think it could be taken further. And you and I were just talking today about how there's ways that the juggernaut itself could be taken much further for a whole other episode. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that's going to we're going to have to stick that one when it's on episode yeah. at some point. That's
0: a huge other thing. But I, I so I need to see it is the, is the ultimate answer mm-hmm. for me. Now, how do you feel about that? Like, how, how would you answer your own question there about like, is this is the crisis option uh, appetizing enough for you to go that route versus doing something different? Even if you only want to go gonna, halfway.
1: Yeah, it's gonna be the same situation where it's like I have to see what the bonuses I get along the way are. Um, okay, so admittedly, like saying this is going to be di- sort of disposable mm-hmm. content of I can see myself doing it once and then it. aside. I can also see it being the situation where it's like, oh, hey, I can just deploy the Star Eaters and then run them around the galaxy. Like I've, there are other strategy games where I have definitely fallen in the trap of, oh, hey, here's an easy re- win route. I'm going to sure. chase that repeatedly flex. So yeah, it'll depend. It'll depend on exactly how it plays. Um, it'll also depend on the thing I've got my eye on still are the um the mass corvette and destroyer yeah i've
0: been thinking about that a lot lately (laughs) yeah
1: that's one things that catches my eye where it's like even if my goal isn't to obliterate the galaxy i might start going down this route just to start grabbing everybody like just spam out huge fleets of ships so we'll see
0: you Uh, you brought up such a great point i'm glad you brought that up because i think it added so much to the conversation uh, really noting, like, what is your goal? Because my friends and I never complete a game of Stellaris. Like, we never make it to the victory year. For for whatever reason, we either get bored with a match or we just... The thing is, more than boredom, we're just so excited to re-roll and re, re-explore an empire and re-explore space. So that is a really good question because I'm immediately turned off by the idea of destroying the galaxy. Mm-hmm. However... You're very right that, okay, I'm not happy with the 100% mark, but what if I'm extremely attracted to the thing that's at the 95% mark, which could be like, you know, the star eaters or whatever we're talking about. It's the asteroid cruisers or if those well, right, appeal.
1: cruisers. Yeah.
0: yeah, I have the list. I pulled it up here on the side as we were talking because I, I was trying to see if there are any negatives. Without belaboring the point too much, One thing that would scare me about it, and I can't remember if we talked about it in this episode, but, or the last one, but uh, things like the devouring swarm in the game, when you choose the civic to be a hive mind that is all about rapid expansion, you lose the diplomatic component to the game. You can't interact with the council or anything like that. The community can't talk to your neighbors. No one will have anything to do with you. If getting further in the crisis, has diplomatic penalties, which I have to imagine it does. Again, I, I believe it. I, I can't see it in a picture here. No. I'm on the official I I post, um, 199, and it could absolutely be in another one, but it is my understanding as well. Yes, I feel like it's going to hurt that, to your point. It's probably somewhere mm-hmm. that we read. So uh, it's, it's a bunch of, it's me trying to juggle a lot of things that I'm not certain about their weight or shape yet. So it's hard to keep them in the air. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going to land on it, but I will say I'm happy with the crisis system. I think they'll get a lot more longevity out of it, though, if they give us different routes.
1: And I think even if they don't, I can. I would be seriously shocked if we don't see a lot of expansion on that, simply on the mod front.
0: One hundred. Like I know I'm actually not
1: a proponent of mod of mods for Stellaris, but I really suspect that we're going to see a lot of variety coming in with the crisis system from that, because I think there was a. I'm almost certain I've read that in a previous dev diary. This was designed to be very modular and to be able to swap components out. The first contact chain was a little bit dicier because that was sort of all locked together into a single event chain. So you need to swap out pieces. But the part of the design of the Become the Crisis System and the, uh, the Empire and, and uh, Custodian were specifically set up so that you could tweak pieces of them. Without affecting the whole system, right? So I, I would be absolutely shocked if we don't see a lot of expansion of this in the modding community.
0: Fingers crossed, and and not not to plunder our pockets, but I I will say that um it wouldn't be the worst idea for some other kind of mini expansion thing sort of deal that fills mm-hmm. in a different a you know, bunch of different types. Although that one does kind of get on the lines of like, is this just you know selling different?
1: I don't well, know. No, that's also one of those hard decisions um, where it's like, so if you just had a thing where it's like, okay, here's three more crisis playthrough modes
0: as a DLC. <laughs>
1: oh no, I would too, but <laughs> it would require owning yes. this expansion. Yes. So that becomes like, yeah, when you're really. modding, not when you're modding, when you're releasing a DLC that requires a previous DLC.
0: That's a very get a good
1: point. point you know? And I don't like maybe somewhere down the line, but, unless the crisis system gets moved to base game, I, I really don't see that happening. Yeah. You know, like three or four years from now, if it, if crisis gets moved to base game, then I could absolutely see it then. But like right now, uh,
0: you know what though?
1: Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No,
0: you, you continue
1: something they have done in the past. Um, if you've got, Because there are things that are attached to future DLCs that are tied back. I could see something like a race pack in the future or another faction pack in the future, like something else that also includes an additional crisis pack. Because now I'm thinking about it, we have seen that. We saw that uh, last year with Diplomacy, or with Diplomacy, with Federations, where the origin system included stuff that required multiple DLCs. Like Ah. it it required Utopia and required Lithoids, or required, I think that was a combo. Or it required like specific combinations in order to be available. So that could be a thing um, where it's like, oh, hey, if you've got Nemesis and you also have this pack here, then you get additional stuff. But I could see that.
0: Literally, noob question because I didn't join in time. Um, was the Galactic Community added for free? Then that space game sort of. I
1: think was, yeah, I think it was, for, it was either added free. That yeah, it was. I think it was Federation. Yeah.
0: Because that's one of the ones, Stark, that hits at this weird spot. Um, and, and I just wasn't here for it. Because <laughs> Galactic Community coming with the Federation update or with the expansion, either way, I, I, I'm presuming it was free. Uh, but now that's being yeah. built upon in the Nemesis stuff, which mm-hmm. I guess that's considered... Well, the Imperium's part of the actual Nemesis update, though, right? Or is it part of the update of the pack? Now I'm getting confused. It's,
1: it's, it's, part, of the, oh, it's part of the DLC.
0: So it's yeah right. The so that's part of the page.
1: Yeah, I'll see. Yeah, so they're paywall.
0: So, is the galactic community
1: free? Yes. Okay. Okay.
0: Okay. Okay. So that helps. My
1: hesitation there was on the release date because when you asked that initially, I'm uh, sitting here going, "Was the community added with Federation, yes. or was it added slightly before that?" Because that was the that was the only thing I was fuzzy on. I, couldn't well, I
0: confirmed it. on the side here. I also found a fun quote. <laughs> so according okay. to mm-hmm. the Stellaris wiki, it says. Um, Join the Galactic Federation and pass resolutions for, by voting with the rest of the community to make the galaxy a better place for everyone. Or slowly build up your diplomatic weight and become mm. the Senate. Which is just funny because that was what it was billed as. That is not what we got, but it is what we're getting. And I'm oh, so excited. <laughs> yeah. But that's okay, an so interesting yeah, that one, right? Like that even structure of the comment, didn't it did not achieve the goal. And that means something to me. It also means something even more important, that is that they were willing to go back and finesse it first.
1: Yeah, they have been pretty good about that. And we also, we talked about the thing with with the Juggernaut, where that's getting revised now also. So it's not not once it hits the game, it's locked in stone and never touched again. Um, They have done stuff in the past to, to try to help earlier releases. Right. And there have been a few elements that were pushed from paywalled to part of the base game further down the line. Um, I think one of them was Ascension Perks. This is one that actually goes back before I was playing. But originally, uh, Ascension Perks were Utopia only, and I believe those are base game now. There are still ones that are gated, but I think the Ascension Perk system is now base game.
0: I have so much fun doing these episodes. Stark, we're about (laughs) out of time on this one, and we have big conversations to save for the future. Um, we yep. have a big one in here about implicit versus explicit uh, decision making for game design. Uh, we have to table that one. That's that's going to be a good one. We did that was what we we're going to talk about the blog about uh, earlier. You know, kind of making little things in there. We also wanted to talk. They had a comment in here. I think we can fit this in in like a two minute spiel. But the custodian galactic imperium, there's a quote, with the risk of sounding like a broken record, I wanted to highlight how much I enjoy the cycle of electing a custodian to fight a crisis and then for the custodian to take power and become a new diplomatic crisis. It's very thematic and it's a fantasy that we're very aware of from popular culture and to some degree, history. Yes.
1: Yeah, you pulled this This, out.
0: Why is that start?
1: Yeah, so... Yeah. Pulling from pop culture is great. I love it. Um, it's also not surprising given, uh, Daniel Morgard is like, his previous credits have been on the other paradox grand strategy games, but I love the awareness of history with this game. Like looking at political structure in the game and how some of this stuff plays out, a lot of it is informed by the way actual conflicts have played out. And I love that. Um, including this, like we've got a situation here where it's like the custodian to empire, stru- imperium structure, like you can look at this as the uh, as the Roman Empire, like the transition from the Roman Republic to the Roman Empire. And I think there's, yeah, I think one of the achievements, the steam achievements is even um, modern day Cincinnatus, specifically for stepping down after the crisis. You get an achievement for that, wow. uh, which is, you know, back. So like, I love that. I love all of that about this. And I think that's part of what makes this game really special as it's going beyond just it would be one thing to just go through and say, OK, well, this is coming from this pop culture source. This is coming from this one. There's certainly a wealth of material, but there's also a certain historical awareness that I, I really do love about
0: this. That is indeed a very good point to call out. And 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 again, like you said, with the, the credits, there's a lot of uh, experience and and um, association with the historical games within the the company so it's very very cool to see it come to this like you said there's a lot of pop culture you can borrow from but it pulling in the history it's just extra special so glad glad they're doing it uh i I have no doubt in my mind this is gonna be just amplify the game fun so much more i have been playing Stellaris like a madman again i've been sinking a bunch of hours into it with friends we actually took a break last night because we've been spending too much time in there uh We've been playing through, but we're hitting that phase where it's like right now we know we can sense there's something new on the horizon. So nothing we have is super engaging with us uh, right now. Absolutely loving it. If you have not already joined up, we know uh, the Gilded server is brand, brand new. So please take a moment, get in there. It's gilded.gg forward slash RPN for Revelator Podcast Network. So gilded.gg forward slash RPN. They have a great mobile app. Uh, It functions just like Discord on your desktop. It looks almost identical to Discord because it is a true Discord clone, but it's like Discord on steroids. You got way more functionality and features, uh, and I love it. I really want to start playing some games in there with more Stellaris friends, people we know from the podcast. Uh, We definitely have people that are in there that are newer players. We have advanced players, and we've been playing quite often and hanging out in that chat, so don't be a stranger. Get involved with that. We do, start have another five-star shout-out for this episode. Nice. Um, let's see here. Red Fox went over to iTunes or the uh, Apple App Store thingy. App I don't know how to use words today. They said, Hey guys I love the quality and format of the show currently play on console at the moment hoping 3.0 changes apply there as well That's such a great question statement sort of thing Fox. First of all, thank you for the five stars We will gladly shout out five star reviews on the show. I would love to keep doing that Uh, Fox join us in gilded chat with us I I I have an answer sort of to that and that is to say that they have been catching up at light speed with the console mm-hmm. updates. I Do we have a firm answer, though, Stark? We don't know for sure. PC only? No, I
1: don't. Um, I think there's elements coming over. Okay, so this is... I might be talking out of order here, but I could be wrong. I think the console is going to 2.8 or something like that, but that it's... Power. Yeah, I think that's what it is, but it's—I haven't kept a close eye on the the console update cycle. So that's—they've been doing a good job about getting it up up to speed, and I think they said specifically they want to get the version, the console versions, into parity with the PC version, but they're not there just yet. So uh, yes, three right. yeah, three is definitely going to end up on the consoles. It's just probably not going to be there in. A week a
0: I believe you were totally on the money with that. I, I have a very strong memory about them saying they wanted probably at the paradox insider event saying they wanted to bring them in sync with one another and if they if that was at that event, I imagine uh, That it was them saying they wanted to do it not too far flung into the future either If I am getting that correct now a lot yeah. of the blog articles and stuff I'm skimming are saying you're gonna have to wait a bit Uh, Let's see, in addition to the paid lithoid packs, Stellaris Console Edition will receive both the galactic community and the archeological sites featured in update 2.6. Well, that's a bit of a helping hand. So if they're at 2.6 and the game's been at 2.7 for a while? We haven't been at 2.8. It did not go 2.89, 3.0. No,
1: there there was a full number iteration. Um, Red, we're getting the answer.
0: I'm doing it right now. I'm digging it up.
1: I would need to actually look at the release cycle on the consoles. From memory, I think the archaeology pack was further back than Lithoids. Oh. but And then, of course, that's coming in around Federations. Where uh, are we on two? Yeah, maybe that's all the sequence. So that's about, a year be- that's about a year and a half behind PC. So I we were on 2.7. 2.
0: I really thought we were on 2.7, but apparently we're on 2.8, says the wiki, which I don't doubt that. That's probably the probably what we move to with the nem with the uh it's federations lift- what's their fate yeah I, gu- I guess that's it huh so yeah okay okay yeah it says federations there i, I thought with necroids certainly yeah. two yeah that's not bad and we'll be at th- yeah so yeah that's very close then
1: so at least a couple of months behind probably you're probably gonna be about a year behind unfortunately like it I'd like to think probably later in this year, you might actually finally catch up to PC. Like it depends on how fast this goes through. And I obviously don't have any inside information on the, on console development, but they, they like they've said they they have a priority on getting console caught up. So yeah, cross your fingers.
0: Uh, that's right. Cross your fingers. I don't remember if anyone knows for certain the date that, that we may or may not have completely made up. Uh, I do. I'm continuing to like kind of skim things. People are saying consoles are catching up fast. Uh, maybe this was I don't it. Think
1: the date. I'm just guessing just based on how fast they've been progressing through the, uh, the, the PC release yeah. cycle consoles. I'm guessing sometime later this year. I think but so too. I, you know, that's not inside information. That's just, I'm guessing I'm taking the numbers I've got and going, eh, maybe.
0: And, to, un- and cause we s- kind of strongly understand the, the intentionality behind that, which is when they catch up, life will be easier in the sense that they won't be yeah. mixed messaging stuff. Uh, it will be a lot more parody, I think, is what you said earlier. Like, it will
1: just yeah, be... It just makes life easier. Like yeah. From the back end, like, it just makes life easier for devs because it's like, if you're working on the same content for all platforms at once, then you can just focus on that. You don't have to worry about, okay, well, we're going to do this Part for this, the but these are guys are that. Yeah. That team over there is, what are they doing? Why are they eating glue? Stop it! So it's it's definitely a it helps if you've got everybody on the same page.
0: Indeed. Well, that kind of brings us to the very end of this. Uh, Like I said, please feel free to get involved. We got the volunteer segment up on the site. If you'd like to help me keep the network going, you can become a member up there. Uh, RevelatorNetwork.com forward slash subscribe has the ways we're looking at buffing that out. I guess I'll give a very brief teaser because it's it's only a teaser. There's nothing finalized. But I am in talks with a company who does like private RSS feed stuff. So like private, um, you could add in bonus episodes and uh, add free experiences. And then they also have a cool program for kind of helping people refer friends to the show where they can get like meaningful rewards for it. So like you could get yourself free access to an RSS feed, for example, if you share the show with a couple friends. Uh, I I really like what they were talking about, I had sought them out, so we're in the talks as a network about that sort of stuff, but it could really help this show, if you're interested in it, again, drop a line, uh, become a member, that stuff helps out a ton, and I'm looking at beefing it all out, so people are getting, beefing it up, expanding it out, getting everyone what they want, get into your systems how you want them, if you have something that you really like out of podcast memberships, I'm also interested to hear that as well. Like I said, get in the gilded where we chat, check out the blog. Oh, the last episode and this one will have show notes, I, I the, formally, like they're actually on the blog. So if you want that, they exist. They are basically uh, copy paste sort of stuff that we got from their notes, but it is up there uh, with all the links and all the things you need. That's revelatornetwork.com as well. Uh, I think that's kind of everything. Stark, we got our socials, we got our our our, our Twitters, those are listed down below. How to fight, right? You guys got some new posts up on your website.
1: Yep. Just had one go up yesterday. So I got to, as soon as I'm done here, I'm going to turn around and start writing tomorrow.
0: (laughs) Oh my. Well, even more reason to close us out. So check us out, grab the Twitters below, Uh, go over to how to fight, right? Uh, Get involved with the podcast. However you are most interested, leave that five-star review so we can shout you out on the show. Big thank you all for listening, thank you for supporting, and thank you for sharing our excitement for Stellaris because uh, it's really, really ramping up here and I cannot wait, uh, as we're recording this, it is April 6th, which puts us, wow, under 10 days Stark, under 10 days. Yep, It's coming, it's coming. We'll get, uh, oh, I'm gonna do this last second, I'm gonna drag it out for an extra minute here and say, hmm, very tentative on the next episode. Uh. We could meet next week on the 13th to record one. However, I because we do have a good conversation to finish with the implicit thing and I and the implicit explicit. I wouldn't mind even if that wound up being just a 15 minute topic. I We have that one. So if you are game for it, we could maybe meet next week and try and do a recording. Otherwise, the next obvious one will be to do a post nemesis
1: episode. I think we can do one next week.
0: Okay, folks, and look out for that. We'll put that on the calendar. Expect that in your ear holes. Like I said, get involved, get subscribed, and we will catch you then. Stay safe. Thanks, Stark, for your time. Talk to you next week. Bye bye. Take care.